God, I was watching American Horror Story and it just like popped up and I jump scared myself. Are, are you watching season seven too? No. What's Don't se- spoil it. <laughs> what season are you on? Well, I season three, but... <laughs> Wait, did you just start American Horror Story? Like, is this your first time watching I, it? Yeah, I started it a couple weeks ago. Oh. And I'm already on season three. I won't say anything now. I have a problem. I I just started um, Cult, which is the last yeah. season before Apocalypse. I swear, if you spoil it for me, I'm gonna cry. No, I'm not an asshole. We live in Colorado. <laughs> I know, and they freak me out. Like, that's my worst nightmare, being stuck in the middle of the woods and, like, have creepy people everywhere. Like, no. Uh-uh. We're, we're never going camping together. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, never. All right. So this is take two. <laughs> Yay! Our first one had this weird electric sound in it, and I think it was because my laptop was plugged in and like do you remember last year during honk if i plugged in my laptop when playing the music for you guys to sing? oh and it had that weird buzz yeah i think it was the same type of buzz that was going on so we're recording this again take two it probably won't be as well edited because our first episode was edited by our the lovely lily Thank you, Lily, but I don't want to put the stress on her to edit this in time, so I'm probably going to makeshift it and try my best. (laughs) Yay! Yay! Um, Let's get a few uh, plugs out the way. So, when we first recorded this episode, we were only on Anchor, but now we are on Spotify, Podbean, CastBox, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts. So, like, most podcast platforms we are on now. Yay! (laughs) It only took, like, a week. Um, We're good. (laughs) We're good. We're Gucci. We have an email set up, which is as long as it's spooky at gmail.com. So, if you want to send us a story or if you want to send us, like, feedback, you go on right ahead. Please be polite. (laughs) <laughs> Please. We're sensitive. We're very sensitive, small beans. <laughs> and then, um, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, because, like, that's a thing that they can do now. Oh, yeah. Oh, we also have Instagram and Twitter, which most of the people who listen follow us there. But just in case you, some reason, stumbled across and want to know how to get updated news. That's a way. <laughs> and it's it's not our full podcast name because our podcast name is admittedly really long. It's for both A-L-A-I-S dot podcast or on Twitter. I, I don't think the dot is there. So I think it's just A-L-A-I-S podcast or just pod. I, I don't remember. We try to keep them as similar as possible so that it's easier for you guys to find everything, but it's a long name. Oh shit. Oh no, what'd you do? I lost the gauge. <laughs> I don't know where my what? other- What? I don't think I lost it here. I think I might have lost it at home because I just now noticed. Just worried that my dog was eating it. 
and well they haven't been over on this side they're sleeping together and they're so cute look at them angels you gotta sit on this face anyway <laughs> this week we have a really fun episode planned i'm excited so am i oh you got coffee on my laptop girl i'm so sorry girl it's fine yeah i've gotten worse on it i've gotten way worse there's been bonsai girl Oh, I thought you were gonna. Uh, never mind. Uh, <coughs> what? No, no, you're dirty. I was thinking blood. Oh. Jesus. Oh. <laughs> you're disgusting. <laughs> I'm sorry. What else was I supposed to assume? I don't know. <laughs> I cherish her, okay? She's a good laptop. She's trying her hardest. Okay. Anyway, the theme for this episode is based on a true story. Woo! So we're going to cover hauntings or paranormal event in general that um, a horror movie has been based on. And there's a lot of horror movies that are like based on a true story and really it's just like the thin veil of truth. Like Texas Chainsaw Massacre says it's based on a true story, but it's like based on bare minimum information about Ed Gein. Yeah, so obviously we can't cover every single film that has ever been made based on a true story. So we picked two. Well, we each picked one, so two yeah. total. And we tried to find interesting ones that maybe you've heard about, we can give you more information on, or maybe you haven't heard about, and <laughs> we're gonna spook ya. So we will say what the movies are, just in case of spoilers. I don't want to spoil movies for anyone. Because that all suck. That sucks. <laughs> Alright. So I'm going to start first this week. And I did The Enfield Haunting, or The Enfield Poltergeist, as it's also known. Um, and this was what the movie The Conjuring 2 was based off of. So the thing about the Enfield haunting in reality was that the Warrens were a lot less involved with it than the movie made it seem. Also, obviously, there wasn't the nun demon. I forgot its name. Do you know its name? No, I just think of it as the nun demon. Yeah, I know <laughs> I know it has a name, but I don't know what it is. Um, but, like, otherwise, it also didn't have the Crooked Man. The Crooked Man isn't involved at all with the actual story. It was just the one ghost that spoke through Janet and Margaret, apparently. So here we go. So, the Enfield Poltergeist is one of the names given to claim supernatural activity at 284 Green Street, a council house in Brimstone, Brimstone Enfield, England between 1977 and 1979, involving two sisters aged 11 and 13, Janet and Margaret Hodgson, and their single mother, Peggy Hodgson, and there were also two sons, Billy, age 7, and Johnny, age 10. Johnny was here for some of the events, but he was away at boarding school for a lot of events. <laughs> Poor Johnny. Just all the good stuff, man. Mm, worst year of your family's life, man. Um, so here's the part where we started to just hum Fantasia at one point. It's coming up to that. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> so, 
Peggy hears a noise one night coming from a bedroom upstairs and believing it to be her daughter, she tells them to stop horse playing. However, her daughters tell her that it's a chest of drawers moving around and Peggy witnessed the drawers herself shuffling and then she pushed it back to where it was. So she walked away and then the chest started to walk towards her like it followed her. So she shoved it back and then it followed her again. Fantasia, man. If you don't know what Fantasia is, I'm ashamed. So good. <laughs> um, um, and then it followed her for a third time. And she tried to shove it back, but it wouldn't move. And it apparently turned as heavy as stone. And she said, quote, an invisible force was stopping it. So Peggy, being thoroughly freaked out by this, brought the kids across the street to the neighbors named the Nottinghams. The husband goes over to the house to check and make sure that everything was okay, looks around by himself, and being a non-believer, stated that there was a knock following him throughout the house, and when he got to the chest, there was a knocking sound on the ceiling, and he felt like he was being watched the entire time. Burn the house down. <laughs> so... They called That's what I would do. <laughs> the, the constables, which are a peace officer with limited authority, typically in a small town. And I want my coffee. Give me a moment. <laughs> a little sippy sippy. <sighs> but they're a peace officer with a limited authority, typically in a small town. They arrived at 1 a.m. and they couldn't really do anything. Constable Caroline Heap saw a kitchen chair near a sofa in the living room that began to wobble in front of her and it slid across the floor towards the kitchen like it was being dragged or pulled. And they put in a legitimate police report about this. So let me just read out that testification. On Thursday 1st, September 1977, at approximately 1 a.m., I was on my duty in my capacity as a policewoman when I received a radio message to 284 Green Street, Enfield. Um, sometimes the address is referred to as Wood Street, but that was the address that they put in for an anonymity sakes. Um, so, I when I received a radio message to 284 Green Street, Enfield, I went to this address where I found a number of people standing in the living room. I was told by the occupier of this house that strange things have been happening during the last few hours and that they believed that the house was haunted. Myself and another PC entered the living room of the house and the occupier switched off the lights. Almost immediately I heard the sound of knocking on the wall that backs onto the next door neighbor's house. There were four distinct taps on the wall, then silence. About two minutes later I heard more tapping. That was four, right? I think so. <laughs> I, I hope it was. <laughs> People are gonna like be like, oh my gosh, you're such an idiot. That was like five taps. <laughs> I can't count. I'm gay. So, <laughs> about two minutes later, I heard more tapping, but this time it was coming from a different wall. <laughs> I also can't park. Again, it was a distinctive pearl of four taps. The PC and the neighbors checked the walls, attic, and pipes but could find nothing to explain the knockings. The PC and the neighbors all went into the kitchen to check the refrigerator pipes, etc., leaving the family and myself in the living room. The lights were 
In the living room were switched off again, and within a few minutes, the eldest son, so Johnny, pointed to the chair which was standing next to the sofa. I looked at the chair and noticed that it was wobbling slightly from side to side. I then saw the chair slide across the floor towards the kitchen wall. It moved approximately three to four feet, then came to a rest. At no time did it appear to leave the floor. I checked the chair but could find nothing to explain how it moved. The lights were switched back on. Nothing else happened that night, although we have later reports of disturbances at this address. Can you imagine how, like, absolutely, like, rude it would be to call the police and, like, be like, haha, it's a prank, bro. There's strings attached. And they're like, mother, <laughs> what? Like, I thought it was in a haunted house. Although that one sucked to be the constable and be like, okay, I'll go investigate. Yeah, whatever. Oh my god, a chair just moved. Yeah, that's not what you expect to come across when you're working in. I would have been like one of those like makes a cross with finger. Hell no, spirits. Holy water. The power of Christ compels you. I think I have holy water. I wanna (laughs) be. Do you know how to make holy water? No, but I wanna be holy on the inside. You boil the hell out of it. (laughs) Okay, so (laughs) so so hi. I have dad jokes. Expect more. <laughs> I like how like his face is just completely shoved against his butt. Oh, is he dreaming? He's crying. Come on here. No scary. No scary. Chippy. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. I'm not scared of Chippy. Chippy was having a bad dream. I'm gonna hold him. Sorry, spooky baby boy. <laughs> So September 4th, Miss, Mrs. Nottingham phoned the Daily Mirror in the hope it would put her in touch with someone who could help. Reporter Douglas Bentz and photographer Graham Nor- Morris, wow, Morris visited the house. Both men witnessed flying objects and the latter was hit on the forehead by a piece of Lego traveling at speed. Just, you know, at speed. I still never hear the Daily Mirror. I like, imagine her going up to like snow... Like the evil witch in Snow White, how she has her mirror and just being like, mirror, mirror on the wall, whose house is the most haunted of them all? And being like, your house is very haunted indeed. Okay, well, the- <laughs> first how the mirror talks. First of all, in my brain. Mrs. Nottingham was the next door neighbor. So it was. Oh, I'm sorry, your name's house is very haunted indeed. Thank you, get your. Sorry. Uh, third of, for, second of all, not third of all. Third of all. <laughs> I would like to see a Conjuring 2 remake where the Daily Mirror is, in fact, just an evil mirror from... The mirror is not evil. Okay. It's the just... evil witch has the mirror. Okay. Don't make the mirrors evil. Uh, oh, we should do that. Mirrors. Mirror, mirror. Okay. Do you know that? Real good. Real good. Look her tea. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Off topic. Also, Lego flying at your head. Full force. Stepping on a Lego hurts. Having one fling at your face is something I have been lucky that my brother has not done to me. Um, I'm pretty sure it's happened to me at some point. Actually, now that I think about it, I probably, probably have had. You work with children. True, but they usually just like throw blocks at me. They don't throw Legos. They value the Legos too much for that. 
Blankas are too expensive for... We have such a big tub of them. Oh my gosh. There was one kid got a bloody nose while playing with Legos. And we had to like disinfect all of the Legos. Oh, it's like how in Disney World is someone like spit or like does anything... Like, uh, people like, like to... close the ride. Yeah, people like to spread dead ashes on Disney World. Especially Pirates of the Caribbean. And Haunted Mansion. And Haunted Mansion. Um, <laughs> back to the story. So... On the 7th of September, senior reporter George Fallows and photographer David Thorpe visit the house. Thorpe. Thorpe. So, um, in early September, the Daily Mirror's Fallows, uh, so uh, George Fallows, contacted the Society for Psychical Research, so SPR. Um, Maurice Gross, who had recently joined the organization, declared his willingness to act as an investigator if like anything interesting happened with the house. So he visited the the house and his quote his first quote about it was I found chaos. The whole family was congregated in the house together as well as the neighbors next door. There wa there were a lot of terrified people in there. Why would they all go wait, so are they in the neighbor's house or the haunted one? The haunted one. Why would they all gather in the haunted house? Why not gather in your neighbor's house? Because it's perfectly not haunted. Because they, I guess it's to talk to the media people and stuff like that. Well, the media people can talk outside of the fucking house. <laughs> all right. I'm sorry. I just, I, it's like when you're watching a scary movie and they're like, you know what? Maybe we should go investigate that sound. And you're like, no, no, you call the police and get the heck out. You move. <laughs> I don't care what you have to do. I have a lot of feelings about this. I do. I was watching this show last night. A lot of feelings. <laughs> so, Gross visited the house on September 5th, and he advised Miss, Mrs. Hoskins to remain calm and recommended she take note of any incidents. So just... Jot it down in your little diary, Mrs. Hodgkins. So, so I hate that they're like, remain calm. It's like, my house is trying to actively kill me. Well, it's going to feed on the negative energy that they output. Well, yeah, but still your house is trying to kill you. It's kind of hard to be like, boy, I am chill about all of this. It's fine. It's fine. I'll, I'll be killed by my house. It's okay. Chill. Hey, you never know. So... September 8th, Gross and three Daily Mirrors reporters witnessed a loud crash. We have three magic mirrors now. Three of them. The girls were asleep and only the adults heard the noise. So the told you guys at this point is being selective about who hears it and who's not hearing it. How ageist. I don't think it's an ageism thing. I, th I just think it's showing how powerful it is. And I find it very creepy. It's like, I can fuck with you. I can also fuck with you. I can fuck <laughs> with everyone here. <laughs> so, um, so only the adults heard the noise. And when they went to check out the crash, a chair in their bed in the girls' bedroom was upturned. Convinced that the Hodgins' claims were true at this point, Gross decided to officially take on the case, and during subsequent visits, he and others observed, so I'm just going to run through a little list here. Mm. Marbles that flew through the air and landed on the floor without rolling. Doors and drawers that opened of their own accord. Door chimes that swung. 
objects, teaspoons, cardboard box, a fish tank lid, that jumped. Again, Fantasia. Wait, can I see this list? Yeah. There was like, oh no, no, no. Okay. I love this doors and drawers that opened of their own accord. Like, that rhymes. What kind of... Who's writing this list? Dr. Seuss? Yeah. So the movements were witnessed by Rose the Hodgins and Peggy Nottingham's father. That was really struggled with that one. I did. You good? Yeah. <laughs> and also four reporters and photographers from the Daily Mirror. At this relatively early stage, as many as 10 people not related to the family have witnessed the phenomena at first hand, which is not really usual in cases like this, mm -hmm. because usually it's only witnessed by either family members or close friends to the family, which brings on a lot of doubt within paranormal... He farted. Shit. <laughs> which brings on a lot of doubt in paranormal cases. Um, and this case does have a lot of doubt with it, but the fact that it was seen by so many people, I think, definitely shows that it possibly was a real event that happened. Do you think, like, ghosts ever just, like, choose families? Like, they're just like, hey, you know the Johnsons? Let's only fuck with the Johnsons. Like, no one else can see what's going on, but, like, if the Johnsons are home, paranormal activity up, like... I do you think they make a game plan, like it's like a football chart, and it's like, okay, you attack here at this point in time, and then I'll go over here. <laughs> I don't think it's like a game master plan. I do think that they do choose certain people to follow because of the energies that they give off. Well, I'm still going to imagine that there's like a ghost football league where they mess with people, <laughs> okay. and whoever messes with the most people wins. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sounds good. Okay, Chip. All right, Chippy. <laughs> so, author and investigator Guy Playfair responded to an appeal to the SPR for assistance. I love people whose first name is Guy. It makes me laugh so much. I like, character named Guy. I'm just imagining, like, a mom, like, giving birth to her child and being like, what do you want this little guy's name to be? Oh, how cute is this little guy? You want his name to be Guy? Okay. It's like, no, no, oh, Okay. Hi, guys. <laughs> it's just an accident. <laughs> so, author and investigator Guy Playfair responded to an appeal to the SPR for assistance by Gross and arrived on the 12th of September along with Rosalind Morris from BBC Radio 4. Um, the world this weekend. And Playfair and Gross worked together for more than a year, making a total of 180 visits and 25 all-night vigils to the house. It's too many. It's 180 visits too many. <laughs> That's 185 more visits than I've been to your house. <laughs> so, <laughs> incidents at Enfield are among, among the most closely recorded in any Portuguese-type case. Um, case. Case. Gross Playfair and Miss Hawkins and other witnesses kept records of varying levels of detail. Tape recording, recordings, mainly by Guy and Maurice, eventually totaled 180 hours. So, the Hodgins also stayed with Peggy's brother, John. And one day, John's wife was making tea in the kitchen, and a child toy peered out of nowhere in front of her face. Like a little, boop, it's here now, like, fairy godmother. It's a child toy, it's related to the kids, get rid of them. 
<laughs> my parents used to joke that they were going to drop us off at the fire station. Oh, see, mine were just like, I'm going to pull over on the side of the road. You can find your own way home. <laughs> um, so the fact that the... So the fact that the uh, ghost was able to follow them says something. So because of how crazy it was, Maurice advised the Hodgins to go on a vacation, so they left for a week. And Maurice stayed in the house and tried to communicate with Knox. And he started off with simple math questions like 5 plus 10. And then he would wait for 15 Knox. Um, so he then moved on to one knock for no and two for yes. And he asked the ghost if he died in this house and he got a knock for yes. And after a series... Do you want the knocks? I mean, knock if you want to. They might disturb the boys. Oh no, they don't give a shit. Yeah, they're too asleep. Okay, one. <laughs> no. A series, a series of questions led the ghost to answer with three knocks. And Maurice asked the ghost if he was like playing with him, if he was fooling around, if he thought this was some sort of game. And <laughs> the instead of a knock, a box of cushions flew two feet in the air and hit Maurice in the face. It's like, do you think this is a game? No. At least it wasn't Legos this time. <laughs> At least you didn't pick up the box of Legos. That would be terrible. That would hurt so much. I still, I still don't understand why he has a box of cushions in his house. It doesn't make sense um, to me. I think they just had a bo box of cushions, just extra cushions. Maybe they got I don't cushions. keep my extra cushions in a box. Well, maybe they got extra cushions because so many people were coming into the house and they wanted to be good uh, hosts. They bring their own cushions if they come into the house. I don't understand <laughs> why you need a whole box. All right, stop judging their cushions. So <laughs> I'm not judging the cushions. I'm judging the placement. What kind of organization? Do they just have like boxes of different stuff lying around like here's our box of pots we can't keep anything in drawers well maybe maybe that is it maybe they put things in boxes because the poltergeist was making shit fly around the house maybe they did that so that the ghost wouldn't like have individual items to throw but in the end well it, then they need to move and burn the house to the ground well there you never burn the house to the ground so <laughs> spoiler alert <laughs> So Maurice would bring in psychics and investigators um, and pillows would be thrown in the psychic's face and whenever things were thrown in their face, equipment would spike up like EMF readers and stuff like that. So I wonder why. <laughs> I wonder why. So Janet, at the suggestion of others, left a paper and pen around the house, which apparently five minutes later, she found a note that said, I will stay in this house. Do not read this to anyone or I will retaliate. And that event to me is one of the few that I'm kind of like not sure about. I'm iffy on that one. Because later on when the poltergeist is using Janet to speak, the way that the written statement sounds does not match up with like the way that the ghost spoke. I just think it's an awkward kind of letter to have just- On another occasion, John, Peggy's brother, went into the girls' room to check on them and 
Janet was sleeping on top of a radio that was on top of a chest, and apparently she had taken 10 milligrams of Valium since she had issues with sleeping and was apparently knocked out. So she couldn't have moved herself, but it also could have been sleepwalking. But I don't... Um, with 10 milligrams of Valium, no. <laughs> That's a heck of a lot. And um, on another occasion, Maurice found, like on several occasions actually, Maurice found Janet asleep under her bed and apparently she was completely worn, almost as if she wasn't alive. And one night, Maurice... That's how he is. <laughs> That's how Ralphie sleeps. He just is completely limp. So... Oh, he's oh, Ralphie and Chip are Arya's dogs. They're seven months old and I love them very much. They're vicious boxer mixes. They're so also scary boxers. They're so cute and sweet and they're so happy and energetic. As they're sleeping right now and not moving. They're growing boys. <laughs> I know, but you're like, oh, they're so energetic. Well, they are. Usually. Yeah, usually. So, one night, Maurice went into the room and Janet and her mattress were thrown across the floor. And the mattress had been on top of Janet and apparently the bed had moved, leaving Janet alone in the corner. She's in a bed sandwich, just like, yes, we go... Bed frame, person, mattress. Well, I think it was just the mattress itself and not like the full on bed. No. Yeah. Um, That's not as fun to imagine though. So a media came in, a medium came in. A media? A media <laughs> came in. A medium came in and put Janet under hypnosis and she drew nine different pictures, all of them featured blood, death, and knives. She was semi conscious and doesn't remember drawing any of them. My kids, whenever I find, like, whenever the kids at my work draw something inappropriate, I'm like, did you draw this? They're like, what? No. No. I'm like, I sat next to you while you drew it. Like, that's how they act. <laughs> so, um, at one point, uh, Janet was pulled out of bed by her arm and Maurice saw it happen. She was reportedly thrown from her bed. And before she had been thrown from her bed, her door was opened by itself. Janet was completely asleep and she was dragged head first from her bed through her door and towards the stairs and was like dragged head first down the stairs by the poltergeist. And Maurice just kind of watched this happen. Not help the poor woman being dragged around this her house. This poor 11-year-old girl. Let's not walk. Like, let's just, for science. For, for, for science. science. For science. I'm not a dick, it's for science. So, at one point they asked... At one point they asked the voice to speak, and so the voice, like the poltergeist, began to speak. And it used Janet as its main source. So, December 1977, three months after the start of the disturbances, an anomalous voice began to emanate from Janet. It started as a series of whistles and dog-like barks and developed into a human voice, that of an elderly male. The harsh and guttural, um, and it was voice, was quite unlike Janet, who was like a 12-year-old girl. So, <laughs> the voice identified itself as Bill Wilkins and claimed that he had lived in the house. The previous occupant was, in fact, a Mr. Wilkins who had died in the house of facts 
unknown to Janet at the time. I hate this because it reminds me of the time that this little kid, four years old, started talking in another voice, saying he wanted to go see Miss Scratcher, and he told us her real name, and she was a woman who died in a plane crash, like, over the school. I hated it so much. Kids are so creepy when they talk in different voices. It's terrifying. I don't think kids are supposed to talk in different voices. They're scary. Children are scary as it is. I don't need ghost children. You're going to become a teacher. I know, but I don't think my school's gonna be haunted. I sure hope not. So, um, the voice habitually swore and claimed to be still living and to sleep in Janet's bed. Many hours of recordings of the, yeah, I know, right? Many hours of recordings of the voice were made. A contact microphone placed on the back of Janet's head picked up what appeared to be different and a louder sound than her normal voice. A speech therapist approached by the investigators was unable to say where the sound was coming from or how it was being sustained. It had some resemblance to a false vocal cord tone. So, and that's what ventriloquists use, correct? Yeah. They actually did bring in a ventriloquist to eliminate the possibility that Janet was herself faking the voice, Gross taped up Janet's mouth. The voice continued to be heard somewhat subdued, as was the case on future occasions when Janet's mouth was also filled with water. Um, and that's a scene within The Conjuring 2 itself. And early in 1978, Margaret started to speak in a similar harsh voice, voice however, without the same intensity or duration as Janet. So, I don't know what's going on there. John Haston, a physicist at London's Beerbeck College, carried out an experiment together with Adrian Forson, a phonetics expert at University College London. Test of a laryngograph indicated an effect known as thicka ventriloquist, I'm not a scientist, where muscle tension, the tension in the throat can produce sounds independent of the vocal cords. However, there are known side effects in this condition, around six weeks of hoarseness and a sore throat, and neither of those were exhibited by Janet. And a ventriloquist also came in, and he felt that the voice was being produced by the diaphragm. But uh, Maurice and Guy disputed this. I was going to say, as a singer, I use my diaphragm a lot. Producing a voice from your diaphragm is hard as heck, especially to make it clear. Yeah, it's so like hard. Without moving your, like, mm, nope. Uh, Maurice was so convinced of the paranormal fist convinced of the paranormal origin of the effect that he offered 500 pounds, later 1,000 pounds, to a nominated charity if any child could replicate the voice underneath the terms he specified. And nobody took up the offer or tried. So here's a little quote from an interrogation by Richard Gross, which was Maurice's son. Um, and the voice said this. I went blind and I had a hemorrhage. And I fell asleep and I died on the chair in the corner downstairs. Yeah, I dude. <laughs> so Janet would apparently wake up sitting in the chair in the middle of the night. And they also contacted Bill Wilkins' son. And it was confirmed that he was a real person and that the story was accurate. And they interviewed the son about this without giving away any details about the haunting. So one thing I'm confused about is like, 
So when they bought this house, like, it just came with all of the furniture that he had originally in there. Yeah. So, like, they just had this chair that this dude died in and no one was like, oh, yeah, by the way, before you buy the house, I should probably let you know, see that chair in the corner? Dude died there. Well, realtors don't always have to disclose that people have died in a house. And then I think this was a government home, like a government assigned home. So they couldn't really, they didn't really have control over that. So weird things kept occurring, such as a pillow being thrown by the spirit, like it was thrown to the roof. At least it's nice and it only throws pillows, man. Yeah. Hazel Short, a lollipop lady, um, which is a crossing guard, worked on the pedestrian crossing outside the Hodgson's house. Short told Guy that she had been walking towards number 284 to pick up her lollipop sign, which she normally concealed under the hedge at the front of the house after her lunchtime shift. I was standing there looking at, this is a quote by her, by the way. I was standing there looking at the house when all of a sudden a couple of books came flying across and hit the window. It was so sudden, I heard the noise because it was so quiet. There was no traffic and it made me jump. Then after a little while, I saw Janet. I don't know if there's a bed underneath that window, but she was going up and down bodily as though someone was tossing her up and down bodily in a horizontal position, like as if someone had got a hold of her legs and back and was throwing her up and down. I definitely saw her come up about window height, but I thought if she was bouncing, she'll bounce from her feet. And she wouldn't be able to get enough power to bounce back to come up that high. My friend could see her as well. We both could see her. And and the friend was a local tradesman, John Rainbow. This poor Rainbow Lollipop duo, they don't deserve this. They don't. So they brought in a psychic named Matthew. He spoke to Bill Wilkins and like asked him questions. And he, as he was doing this, he watched a micro, um, a microphone fall and break itself. And went for a backup tape recorder which ended up missing and he couldn't find it anywhere and he checked the whole house and later that day he heard a crash from upstairs which had never which he had never been into and he saw the dresser from you know the fantasia chest from before mm-hmm. turned over and a tape recorder was in there um people believe this was a prank but i think the girls would have been caught if they did that ah pranked and Janet does admit that 2% of what happened was her and her sister or was fabricated by the media. Um, but they were usually caught before they were able to prank anyone. So I don't really think, like, if only 2% of it was fake, it's still like a majority of it was real. Why would you use it to prank somebody? I mean, listen, I can be a little poop sometimes, but like, that's a new level. Yeah. So, two days before Christmas, 1977, the family found their pet goldfish had died in the middle of the night. When talking to Bill, he stated, I done that, and said he electrocuted the fish spiritually, which I don't know what the fuck that means. Christmas (laughs) spiritually. (laughs) I don't know why, whenever I think of, like, the word spiritually, I think of, like, religious, like, you're just like, hello, I'm religious spiritually. Electrocute you, like... I don't know how that works. I don't know either. So Christmas Day, their pet Budgie died. Both said that wasn't him. Um, later, I didn't do, I didn't done that. <laughs> I didn't done that. 
Later that day, Janet was strangled by curtains in the living room, and this happened eight times, so just get rid of your fucking curtains. Um, on Peggy's birthday, Margaret walked into the room to find the word shit written on sh in shit on the wall. Um, Peggy also saw an apparition that night of the bottom half of man's trousers, and apparently it was the style her father would wear in 1945. Another message was in the bathroom that was made up of tape that belonged to David. However, he, uh, David had lost that tape, and the message read, I am Fred. And it was concluded that it couldn't have been faked because the children were watched 24-7 at this point, and it would have taken too long before anyone noticed them gone for so long. Uh, so happy birthday, Peggy. BBC Scotland got footage of the voice speaking through Janet. Janet apparently said that she was she felt like a puppet and that someone else was pulling the strings. Maurice decided to leave the family alone for a little bit and gave them some space at this point in time and told Peggy to write down things that happened. And he came back a couple days later and she had written down 150 things that had happened and apparitions at this time became more often. That should be a book. Just 150 things that happened when Maurice left. <laughs> There were also several incidents of things spontaneously set on fire, and then the fire would take itself out. Hire me. So Ed and Lorraine Warren showed up at this point. Um, they showed up uninvited, uh, claimed that they were there for to like put the story in their book, and were there for a day. In the movie, they were main characters. Lorraine and Ed claimed that they were keeping up with the story in America, and weren't able to stay in London, like that was their side of things, but no one really knows what's the truth behind there. I feel like they just show up places and they're like, hi, I know you don't know me, but I know you, and I just want to like look at your house and your, you know, your creepy possessed children, and then I'll go ahead and go. I'm going to put it in my book, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, link in the description. No. <laughs> the, the Warrens have a lot of controversies around them, but I do want to visit the museum in their house. So, May... Yeah, Ghostbuster. <laughs> May 1978, Janet and Margaret were out in the garden arguing with children across the fence when children began to throw stones at them. And apparently there were no children actually across the front fence. And the... There was a grown man, and the grown man accused the girls of throwing stones at him, even though they hadn't been. Um, so it the poltergeist was playing tricks. Janet was sent to go live in a home full of nuns. She was also admitted into an institute of neuropsychology by Guy Playfair and was tested and went through therapy, and she was shown to be in good health. And when asked why everything was okay with her right now and in the house why everything was still, she said, the power can't build up because there's no one else to help build it up, which kind of like shows that the Portuguese was feeding off of Janet's energy at the very least. So six weeks later, she comes home and in half an hour, she saw a figure in the kitchen that looks like a little boy. Another, another medium came in who couldn't speak English and he was, he was Dutch. And this was in October, 1978. And he left up to a bedroom and then came back down and said everything was over and the house calmed down in its activity, although all the activity wasn't gone at this point. Investigators were still coming in, even though things were dying down and stuff was still happening, but not as extreme as it used to be. Witnesses saw rocks appearing from nowhere, objects levitating, the wallpaper removing itself. 
So the wallpaper was probably really ugly and the ghost was just done with it. And once the investigators began to leave, things began to die down spiritually. So the investigators... Sorry, when you said that, I thought of Murder House, and you have, know how in Murder House, American Horror Story, there's one ghost that's like the gay couple. Yeah. I'm just imagining the dude going in there and being like, oh god, like no, honey, nah, mm-hmm. <laughs> rips all wallpaper off. Honestly, that's a mood. Writes in blood, change your wallpaper. HGTV ghost edition. So, so he, um... So the investigators were seemed to be bringing in energy, but um, it never truly stopped the hauntings until the family left the house, at least the reported hauntings. Peggy had died years later, I'm assuming, of natural causes, so rest in peace. And her brother stayed there, and he stated that it was still haunted when he was living there. Another stayed there like an idiot. <laughs> Another family moved in after the Hoshins left, and... They moved out after two months, and it was a single mother, again, with four sons, and the sons were experiencing a man going around to their beds and shaking it until they were awake. And currently, a family lives there. Don't bother the family. Leave them alone. A family currently lives there, and they don't want to be identified, which I respect. And a quote from the mother is, I've got children. They don't know about this. I don't want to scare them. And that's the end guys okay so my story is not quite as long because it wasn't quite well i mean it did go on for a couple years but it's not something that like reoccurred and this is the story based off of the movie um the exorcism of emily rose this story is very popular i think the actual Exorcism is more popular than the movie, if I'm correct. I think so, yeah, because I've never seen Emily Rose, but I have heard of the exorcism that actually occurred. Um, by the way, I'm thinking about having a scary movie night in October, so I'm going to set up a bunch of scary movies and make a little list. Um, damn. <laughs> nice. Okay, so this, um, this movie, The Exorcism of Emily Rose, is very, very loosely, loosely based off of the real exorcism of Annalise Michael, or I think it's Michael, but she's German, so if I'm pronouncing it wrong, I am so sorry. Please tell me that I'm butchering names. Um, so this story is very tragic, and... I mean, no disrespect to her. However, this is one of the most, I think, interesting and compelling cases of an exorcism for skeptics and believers alike. Alike. So, Annalise Michael grew up in Catholic Bavaria, which is in West Germany in the 1960s. Um, She attended mass very often, twice a week, in fact. And she was described as just very kind and caring and generous. And when she was 16, she suddenly blacked out at school and began walking around dazed. Though Annalise did not remember this event, her friends and family said she was in a trance-like state. 
a year later if you want. This Translate State will come into play later. So a year later, Annalise experienced a similar occurrence where she woke up in a trance and wet her bed. Oh. And this is 17. Like, that's not normal. That means something's wrong with her health-wise. Yep. So her body also went through a series of convulsions, causing her body to shake uncontrollably. So she had a seizure. After the second time, Annalise visited a neurologist who diagnosed her with temporal lobe epilepsy. Disorder that causes seizures, loss of memory, and experiencing visual and auditory hallucinations. Now, the fact that you can experience visual and auditory hallucinations is something that's very important. Yeah, that it's like, because she was the main advocate for herself being possessed, wasn't she? Yes. However, her parents were very religious. So we'll get to that in a second. Um, so... It can also cause, oh gosh, Gishwin, Gishwin syndrome, and it's a disorder marked by hyper-religious Hyper-religious-y? Hyper-religious-y? I think so. I think so. I'm not sure. So after her diagnosis, Annalise began taking medication for her epilepsy and was enrolled in the University of Wurzburg in 1973. However, the drug she was given did not help. And as the year progressed, her condition began to deteriorate. Though she was still taking her medication, she began to believe that she was possessed by a demon and that she needed to find a solution outside of medicine. So she didn't exactly like not take her medicine, but she did kind of rebel against the idea of it. Um, so she began to see the face of the devil wherever she went and said she heard demons whispering in her ears. When she heard demons telling her that she was damned and would rot in hell while she was praying, she concluded that the devil must be possessing her. And most of the times when she would pray, like she said that she would be thrown violently against the room, wouldn't like be able to. And so that's one of the main reasons she thought it was some sort of demon or devil or antichrist. Because whenever she tried to pray, just Boom! Against a wall. Oof. That's <laughs> I like being thrown against the wall. <sighs> uh, but like, was it, did anyone else see her being thrown against the wall or was it just her? No, I'm pretty sure it was just her on account. So like, there's a chance that could have been her, like, not, I don't want to obviously talk bad about someone who's especially died and things like that, but, like, it could have just been her throwing herself against the wall. Like, because mm -hmm. there's, like, she has hallucinations and things like that, so it could have, I don't know, be some sort of psychosis thing going on. Yeah, and that's what makes this case especially interesting, because you can really argue either way that this is some sort of possession or that it is actually just... Her, um, Wait, can I ask you, do you, psychosis. do you think she was possessed or do you think this was all her psychosis and then everyone else going along in her um, fantasy, I guess, the word, this is the only word that's coming to mind? Mm -hmm. I personally would like to believe that there was some kind of bad energy around her just because of how sudden it was, but I don't think it was completely like just demon possession. I do think part of it she was kind of 
amplifying in her head, but I do think that there might have been some sort of evil presence. Some bad um, But then again, I can see both points. So, Annalise sought out multiple priests after this point to help her with her demonic possession, but all the clergy um, she approached rejected her request, saying that she could seek medical help and that they needed the permission of a bishop. Um, so at this point, Annalise's delusions had become ex more extreme. She, believing she was possessed, she ripped the clothes off of her body, compulsively performed up to 400 squats a day, crawled under a table and barked like a dog for two whole days. She also ate spiders and coal and bit the head off of a dead bird. And I think this one is so gross. She licked her own urine off of the floor. Very animalistic behavior. Yeah, so she kind of went batshit. So finally, she and her mother found a priest, Ernst Alt, who believed in her possession, and he stated that she did not look like an epileptic. What, what does an epileptic look like? Because, like, people, like, my mm -hmm. uncle Rudy has epilepsy, but, like, it's not, it's not one of those things that's a visual with anyone. Yeah, I'm not really sure what that meant either, because at first I was like, mm, what does that mean? Cause so, like, I'm not really sure. Yeah, because people can get epilepsy from, like, a concussion. Really, yeah. so it's it's not like something, I don't know, it's not a visual illness, I guess. Yeah, but he said this in her later court documents. So, Annalise wrote to Alt, I am nothing, everything about me is vanity. What should I do? I have to improve. You pray for me. And also once told him, I want to suffer for other people, but this is so cruel. So Alt petitioned the local bishop, Bishop Joseph Strungle, who eventually approved the request and granted a local priest, Arnold Renz, to perform an exorcism, but he ordered that it be carried out in total secret. And in the movie, it's just one priest. It's just one guy involved in all yes. this, right? In the movie, it's one priest, and in the actual real-life occurrence, it is two. So, the exorcisms have existed in various cultures and religions. Um, for like millennial becoming popular in Catholic Church in the 1500s and they would use like the Latin and all that stuff but this practice was I think no, you're yeah it's gonna die soon ah okay do you want to pause yeah let's pause for one second here hold this I'm gonna go grab it. all right all right, everything's good. We have to switch position. <laughs> so I am now on the left. <laughs> so the practice of Catholic exorcism was confined in the ritual Roman Romanon, a book of Christian practices assembled in the 16th century. So <laughs> this is an old thing, but in the 1960s, exorcisms were very rare among Catholics, but when movies like The Exorcist became popular... There was that scare. Yeah. Um, in the early 70s, there was a lot of renewed interest in this practice. Yeah, kind of like... I think 
there was also that uh, whole state like a state like how we have that Satanism scare when we were kids. Yeah, and like in the late nineties and early two thousands, everyone was scared about the saintness in the woods, and it's like there's no facts to prove that. But all right. Yeah, exactly. So over the next ten months, following the bishop's approval of Annalise's exorcism, Alt and Rose conducted sixty-seven exorcisms, which is a lot, and they could last for up to four hours. Oof. So that's more than five a month. That's a lot to take on your body because I I'm sure it's very strenuous. Although I. <sighs> Can we do an episode on exorcisms um, in different cultures? Yeah. Because there's so much on those. There's a lot. So, um, through these sessions, Annalise revealed that she believed she was possessed by five different demons. Um, Lucifer, Cain, Judas, Adolf, and Nero. <laughs> I like how Hitler was just thrown in there. You know Hitler? <laughs> like all these biblical featured uh, figures and then Hitler. Yep. You know. So all these spirits would jostle for power of Annalise's body and would communicate from her mouth with a loud growl. Sorry, your dog is kicking me in my stomach. Okay. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Thank okay? you. I'm fine. I'm used to it. So these audio recordings you can find on English with English sub I mean on YouTube with English subtitles because if you want to have nightmares I remember the first time I found these recordings on accident and I listened to them I didn't realize it was a real exorcism and once you find out it's a real exorcism it becomes so much creepier oh it's so terrifying I like when I first heard it I was really young because like like I said in the first episode I got into spooky stuff really young and I probably had too much internet access as a child. And it's just terrifying. Yeah, so I'll let you decide if you want to actually hear it. Because some people argue that it sounds like it could just be her doing these voices and all this stuff. But I will let you decide for yourself if you would like to listen to it. Because I don't know what time you're listening to this at. And I know I don't like to listen to this stuff at like midnight. I fall asleep to scary stories. It makes me paranoid, but I still do it anyway. <laughs> okay, so these voices would argue with each other, with Hitler saying people are stupid as pigs. They think it's all over after death. It goes on. And Judas saying Hitler was nothing but a big mouth who had no real say in hell. <laughs> like, Judas was like, oh, Hitler, that little bitch. Yeah, he's like the lowest tier right now he's like not even a level three demon he can't even he doesn't know shit okay no one cares about you hitler <laughs> yes that is exactly how it went down um judas is very gay sounding apparently <laughs> sorry it's just it just comes out naturally mean <laughs> girls but with demons <laughs> i play all the parts so Throughout these sessions, Annalise would frequently talk about dying to atone for the wayward youth of the day and the apostate priests of the modern church. Yeah. <laughs> she broke the bones and ripped tendons in her knees from continually kneeing in, I mean, kneeling in prayer. Jesus. 
fuck. Like, that's hardcore, man. And these are like the weirdest part of the body to me because they can just dislocate themselves for no reason. And they're just constantly hurting personally. So I just have to pause the recording. Back again. Look who's back. Back, back again. again. <laughs> okay. Anyway, we were talking about um, broken knees and tendons. Um, so, over these 10 months, Annalise was frequently restrained so the priest could conduct exorcism rites. She slowly stopped eating, and eventually she died of malnutrition and dehydration on July 1st in 1976. Ooh, and it wasn't that long ago, because my mom was born in 75, and my dad was born in 77, I believe. And I don't know, it wasn't, I don't know, that kind of fucks me up just a little. Yeah, it was not that long ago. No. And there are like still exorcisms going on today that I feel like you think like, oh, those are all past things. But no, they still go on today for like, sometimes if people are gay, People will have them exercised of the demons making them like the same gender. It's I have known demons in me that make me like the same gender. It's just called that I like the same gender because I'm homosexual. <laughs> it's just the way my body and brain work. So, um, after she died, Annalise's story became a national sensation in Germany after her parents and the two priests who conducted the exorcism were charged with neglect, I mean, neglect homicide. They came before the court and even used a recording of the exorcisms to try and justify their actions. However, the two priests were found guilty of manslaughter resulting from negligence and were sentenced to six months in jail, which was later suspended, and three years of probation. So the parents were exempt from any punishment as they had suffered enough, a criteria for sentencing in German law. Oh, that's, I didn't know that was a thing in German law. I don't know enough about, I, I mean, I know a good amount about American law, obviously. I mean, I took AP Gov and then the amount of true crime research I do kind of leads me. And then my stepmom went to school to be a paralegal, but German law, I didn't know they had that sort of, like, is it considered a compensation or is it considered like, I guess it's a sympathy sentence. Huh? Yeah. Okay. So following the trial, Annalise became an icon for some Catholics who felt modern secular interpretations of the Bible were distorting the ancient supernatural truth it contains. The surprising, oh, this is a quote. Wait, I don't know what that means. <laughs> what do they mean? I don't know what that means. Um, so this quote is from Franz Barthel, who reported on the trial for the regionally daily paper of the main post. And he said, the surprising thing was that the people connected to Michelle, I mean Michael, so Annalise, were all completely convinced that she had really been possessed. Bruises often from Holland, I, I think, still come to Annalise's grave. I mean, buses. I said bruises. Buses from Holland. I was about to ask, what do you mean by bruises from Holland? Sorry. 
Buses. Um, the grave is a gathering point for religious outsiders. They write notes with requests and thanks for her help. And they leave them on the grave. They pray, sing, and travel on. So a lot of people just show respect to her. Yeah, and it's almost, it's kind of sad because it's almost like a tourist site now. Yeah, I, that's the thing. Like some supernatural things become tourist sites, but at the same time, there are a lot of supernatural things that are built upon tragedy. And that's why it's supernatural because the ghosts are feeding off the negative energy and the negative events that happen there. So it, people go and they treat it like a tourist site and I'm gonna call out ghost hunters, no, not ghost hunters, ghost adventures out on this one. Cause Zach Baggins in some episodes, I feel like does the same thing or at least he reacts in such a way that makes me feel like it's a little bit crass. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it, some people are obviously showing respect to her, but some people really, I don't think will. It's kind of like they use it as like a little, oh, look at me, I'm at a scary place. I'm at a girl, like a grave site of a possessed girl. Yeah, for me, going to a grave of someone who died in such a tragic way just because, oh, it was supernatural. Like, for me, going to the actual grave is a bit much and I find kind of rude and disrespectful because I feel like that is a very, very personal thing for a family. And, like, you don't go to someone's wedding venue uninvited. Yeah, like, I personally would go to her grave, for instance, if I went and visited Germany, but I wouldn't go there because it's a supernatural thing. Like, obviously, I know her through the supernatural story, but I would just want to pay respect to her because she went through some really hardcore shit, obviously. Yeah, and I feel like paying respects is one thing, but then being like, oh, supernatural is another. Yeah, it's different. I feel like she should have, like, some sort of, um, I guess, memorial, though, so that way, like, you can have a place for the people who do want to pay respects who didn't know her because of this supernatural haunting, and then you could have a place for the actual family and friends of her. Yeah. I don't know. It's that's like it's a complicated thing. Yeah, this entire case it brings on a lot of complications. Yeah. So, um, while she may be a source of inspiration for some religious people, the story of Annalise Michael is not one of the spiritually triumph over science. So basically, is not denying science, um, but of people who should have known better than allowing a mentally ill woman to die. So it's the story of people projecting their own beliefs, hope, and faith into a woman's delusions and the price that was paid for those beliefs. So, yeah, that's the story. It's very, very dark. There were obviously, like, I didn't cover all the details because, like, there were some details about the types of demons she said she saw and other stuff. However, there's so many videos about this exact case that you can go way into depth on. Yeah, and it's so weird because this is one of the cases for me where I can't, like, for instance, in our first episode when we were talking about serial killers, or even last night I was reading I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara, and sometimes I think to myself really funny things specifically about the killer because I'm uncomfortable with what they're doing and the situations that they're forcing people in. 
but with a case like this, I can't use humor as a coping mechanism here because I'm just kind of, I, I feel like the need to sit back and just listen because, I don't know, this case definitely does fuck me up in some way that I can't describe for some reason. Yeah, and I think this is one of the case that, like, cases that will be debated over for a while. so long because you really can't 100% prove either side is wrong or right. Yeah. It's kind of just a, like, I don't know. Is it, like, just her mental illness? Or was it actually a possession? Because some people, like, there's proof that at some point she denied medical care. She denied being visited by doctors, which is perfectly within her legal rights. But then it approaches that topic of, should you force someone to be hospitalized if you deem it fit? Like, was she mentally stable enough to make that decision herself? Well, she didn't stop seeing doctors. She just didn't think it was working and tried to get help outside of it. Like, she kept taking her medication. Well, like, during the, like, exorcisms that that happened, like, during the exorcisms that she... I think I'm not sure if she took the medicine when she was actually going through the exorcisms. Yeah. Just to see if one worked better than the other. Because, like, I think the reports, I'm like, if I remember correctly, it's about during the exorcisms itself and not for the exorcisms, mm-hmm. which could also say something like the exorcisms probably, people could argue that it fueled her paranoia, it fueled her hallucinations, and it made her believe that she truly was possessed. But at the same time, you know. Yeah, and I also feel like when it comes to the parents, I don't know how you could watch your daughter go through all of these exorcisms and just, like, if she stops eating, like, not, like, try to get her to eat. Like, she died from malnutrition, not from, yeah, like, the demons killing her from the inside out. No, she stopped eating and drinking. Like, I don't know how a parent could just be okay with that especially with all the strain that's being put on her yeah like at that point i would force an iv into her at the very least so she could stay hydrated or something because force feeding someone's really hard to do yeah. well on that sad note um it's okay we have trip and ralphie here they're very cute they're very sleepy and i'm holding chip's back paw <laughs> so this has been episode two of as, as long, long as, as it's spooky. spooky. Hopefully we will be able to like get a permanent schedule sort of thing up and be able to be like, oh, episodes will be up Friday at so-and-so time. But for right now... It's just going to happen Friday at some point. Some point in the day. So if you like subscribe to us on any of those podcasting sites we said before, you'll be able to see. All right. Gotta go before the dogs go ballistic. Keep it spooky. Woo! Hey, Alex here. Thank you. We're listening to as long as we eat with Ari and myself. We are under Instagram as a 
A-L-A-I-S.podcast. And we are also on Twitter as A-L-A-I-S-podcast. If you or anyone else you know has had a spooky experience, email us the story at asmarsspooky at gmail.com. And if you're able to, please rate, subscribe, leave a review. Any traction that we can get is good enough for us. Thanks.